Are you thinking of your next vacation yet? It could very well include secure private jets and bespoke luxury. My guest shares how his childhood love of aviation led him to start a luxury jet company, why he started by bootstrapping, and why he is now considering raising external capital for the next phase of this business. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. I am speaking with Michael Darko, the founder and CEO of Farringdon Jets, the world's most security-focused jet charter company. After becoming familiar with the needs of high and ultra-high net worth individuals through his international career in property and offshore wealth management, Michael decided to merge his experience and network with his lifelong passion for aviation to launch Farringdon Jets, a luxury charter jet service that fills the need in the market by providing safety and security for its clients, not just in the air, but on the ground too. Michael, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you, Michael. You're in the jet business. What motivated you to start Farringdon Jets? But before you tell me that, maybe it might be better if you walk me through your journey to this point. What did you do before and how did those things inspire you to start Farringdon Jets? Very good question. So if we start from inspiration and parts of life that led me to this place now, I would have to say it started from childhood. As long as I could remember, I've always been fascinated with aviation, airplanes, travel, everything in that space. One of my earliest memories, for example, is I remember I woke up one weekend and my mom told me we're going on a trip. She didn't tell me exactly where we were going. So you could imagine young, curious me, probably about seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere around there, asking questions all the way. It must have been about a two-hour journey. We jumped on multiple buses, multiple trains. We were outside of London, and finally we were in an aviation museum. So my mum really knew about my passions, my dreams, and she really helped foster that from a young age. It was one of the most amazing and profound early but simple memories that I had growing up. Through my childhood, I would be playing with model airplanes, building them, painting them, being that typical nerd that you could imagine that was in love of aviation. I used to try and build my own plane simulator as a child, so making sure I had a computer with the high enough specs to be able to run the flight simulator software on, getting a joystick and a yoke where I could, and just saving my pocket money to do those little things. As I grew older into my teens, I joined the Royal Air Force Cadets, This was a program throughout the UK where young people could join the cadet program to get more of an understanding what it would be like to join the military. So there was the air cadets, there were the sea cadets, and then the army cadets. So again, depending on what sector of the the military that the individual was interested in. And of course, I joined the air cadets. So amongst drill training and obstacle courses and camping, we had classroom lessons based around aviation, learning the theory behind aviation. As well as that, I had my first pilot's lesson with the RAF Air Cadets, and that was a most amazing experience. They provided, unfortunately, with my first pilot's lesson. I believe I was either 14 or 15, so exceptionally young, and it was led by, or the instructor was an RAF pilot. So we were in this two-seater Cessna, and we were doing 
loops. It was just amazing. So you could imagine young me just over the moon, having the most phenomenal experience. So that was what led to working in private aviation, having the passion for aviation as well. And then as the years went on, the subjects I chose through my schooling and education was all based around becoming a pilot. So I chose maths, physics, and psychology for fun. And the idea was to go into pilot school. Back then, there weren't many, I guess, sponsorships going on anymore in order to, to fly for one of the airlines. So people had to pay for it outright or get loans elsewhere. And the total course from start to finish was about 90,000. And at the time, unfortunately, we didn't have access to $90,000 or pounds just sitting around. So I had two options. One, continue through education and just study more whilst in the behind the scenes, my family working to help me get to that stage or to start working and starting life out in your career. Of course, you don't get a huge amount of income, but I thought, well, that just makes more sense than getting into more educational debt. So I started working and at the time I didn't have too much work experience, just some weekend and holiday roles in sales. I had a bit of a knack for sales. So when I got to that point of now looking for a full-time job, I thought, well, what's the biggest thing you can sell? Real estate. So I started off in a state agency in the UK. It wasn't an easy time to get a job. I remember handing out my CV to dozens of places and of course, handing out a CV back then more than just applying online. It's been a while since I started my career. And I remember not getting any calls back and realizing, okay, I don't have that much experience. So I went back around to all the places that I handed out my CV to and said, Hey, can I, can I just work for free? Can I get some work experience? And I finally got my lucky break, which then led onto a paid role. Um, a couple of years later, when I was looking for a new position, and this time we were applying for jobs online, I did apply for a couple of jobs in Dubai, not really expecting much out of it, but before I knew it about a month later, I had two job offers to move to Dubai. And I thought, why not? I'd never been, so it was a kind of a big jump for me, but also an easy decision. And the rest is history from there. It's probably one of the, the most important decisions I've made in regards to how it's formed my career so far. But just what I was exposed to, the, the opportunities in the world, hearing a lot of successful people's stories played a really big part. I got headhunted and I ended up in wealth management. Just the idea of continuing to offer people investment advice and being part of that decision-making. So Michael, process. what was that transition from real estate to wealth, offshore wealth management. Someone I used to work with, he was working as a recruiter for a wealth management company there. And he reached out to me and headhunted me and put me through the interview process. So it was a three or four stage interview process. And it did take quite a bit of convincing. I was very comfortable and happy with what I was doing at the time, but they did make a few very good points that real estate in Dubai is not like real estate in anywhere else in the world. It's not really transferable in regards to the way it's done, the earning potential, et cetera. Whereas offshore wealth management, you're dealing with the same caliber of investor, just with a larger range of investment products. So with that in mind, thinking that I love Dubai, but I may not want to spend the rest of my life there, but I still want to have the same sort of earning potential and the same sort of job role. I decided to go through the process. So at first I had to study to get to the point of being able to offer financial advice. So I took some professional qualifications while still working in the office with different roles. And then it was finally time to step up and become an advisor. Around that time, the aviation plan had not gone out of the window. I was exposed to quite a few pilots 
It's a big hub for people in the travel industry. So a few major airlines base their staff out of Dubai. So I had some social contacts and some business contacts in the space. And of course, I always express my love for the, for the industry. And funny enough, every pilot I met apart from one told me not to become a pilot. They said, it's not what you think. They told me, it's not what you think. You're overworked. You're very stressed. There's not so much flying involved as opposed to monitoring systems, et cetera. Of course, my first experience flying a plane was very different from what it would be like flying a commercial aircraft. So now I'm just really thinking now, but this is my dream. This is everything that I've been working towards for years now, from education to career. I can't just throw that away. But looking around in a place where I think the buyer's not shy when it comes to opulence, <laughs> everyone's um, throwing, you know, everything. Michael, before you go into moving into the jet piece, maybe you, could you break down what offshore wealth management is? What did you actually do? Yes, of course. So offshore wealth management is basically managing the finances for individuals, but not specific to a single location, looking at the different financial centers around the world to help them manage their wealth, whether it's for retirement, whether it's for education planning for their children, estate planning for when they're no longer with us, plus many, many more. So you are doing that and now you've made contacts with pilots and they're like, it's not as glamorous as you might think. Exactly. It's not as glamorous. Now you're thinking, how do I still merge my love for aviation and still move forward in this area without giving that up? So being in Dubai, people are not worried about being reserved with their means. So for example, I worked in an office with a gentleman who had two Range Rovers exactly the same, but different colors just because he wanted a new color, which doesn't make sense for most of us. You would see more Ferraris on the street than you would ever see Fords. So it just made me think there are a lot of people who are managing to live this lifestyle and that doesn't really appeal to me. So if they could afford this type of lifestyle of opulence, I could live a relatively conservative lifestyle and have a two-seater Cessna like the aircraft that I had my very first lesson in and fly that around on the weekends. So then that became my new goal. So I continued working in the industry. I moved country. I moved to Medellin, Colombia, followed by Bogota, Colombia in the same industry. And that dream never disappeared. However, it was just put on hold whilst I was living out my career. And just like a lot of people at the beginning of 2020, I had a lot of time to sit down <laughs> and think and really work out what is it that I want to do in my life for the long term career-wise. So I loved what I, I was doing at the time, which is again, still wealth management. But now after years of doing it, I have great amount of connections and an amazing network. And now many years of catering to the needs of high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. So how do I merge that into the passion or with the passion for aviation? So it was literally a brainstorming exercise where I listed all of the businesses that you could get into in aviation along with my skill set and what I have to carry over. And it came down to private aviation charter. Targeting the ultra rich. So, you know, they say your network is your net worth. I truly believe that. You told me that you started this bootstrapping. Yes. You had not considered even bringing on partners or trying to get funds from any external sources for this business. And 
it's taken up steam over the past couple of years since you've started. And now you're thinking of spinning it off into a different segment of the business, opening up a new venture. But now you are considering getting investors for that. You also mentioned something about why you hadn't considered getting investment before, about the difference between how you were raised and what you were taught about money versus how you were educated about money. If you don't mind explaining that. Yes, definitely. So in my household, borrowing money was taboo. <laughs> from credit cards, they would always get you in trouble. Don't take loans from the bank because the interest would be ridiculous. And even on a personal level, you live within your means and you don't ask people around you for money. My family is very helpful. If there was ever uh, an emergency, people are there to provide. But apart from that, you live within your means. You save for a rainy day. And that was essentially my education on money from a young age. So I've always carried that through my life. And then being educated on money on a professional level when studying to get into wealth management and then beyond that, of course, on the job, just work with my clients on a daily basis and really having to understand where their funds came from a lot of the time when doing the KYBs, et cetera. Understanding that I have clients that have multi-million dollar companies that were built off of a credit card or two credit cards put together X amount of years ago that people had multiple investors when growing and scaling their company and that people were taking loans from banks and essentially that's just how the world of business works. I was always in this bit of a dilemma of it's so heavily ingrained within me not to take a loan, to not use credit cards. And if you do use them, pay them off in full versus seeing the success from a lot of the people around me who grew and scaled very quickly. So that it's is still generally sage advice, though, about managing your credit. But exactly. I know where you're going. Mm -hmm. I think there just have, has to be specifics around it. So if you're borrowing money to put into something that's going to make you more money, then it makes sense. If you're borrowing money for a depreciating asset or something that's just uh, essentially not going to generate any more money and you're now going to have to pay interest in that, that's a bad way to go, essentially. So uh, overall, I understand it fully now, but it's always just been a bit of, of a mental conflict. So when it came down to starting Fairland Jets, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a time where there was a lot of uncertainty in the world and it just never even crossed my mind at the time to even seek investment. Even on a professional level and the finance work, everything had stopped. People had stopped putting money into investments. They wanted to keep as liquid as possible. If they were going through hard times, they probably had a family member who was going through a harder time that they had to support, et cetera. So yes, it just wasn't the time where I was thinking banks should be handing out money. The only time they seemed to be handing out money was to help people who already had businesses going, such as PPE loans, et cetera. You started Furred and Jets. It targets high net worth individuals. Tell yeah. us what it is. Yeah. So Fairman Jets is a security focused private jet charter company. We don't just make sure our clients are secure in the air, offering the best aircraft available with the air crew with the highest level of experience possible, but also we keep them secure on the grounds through our specialized partners. Yeah. Well, you had quite a network of high income individuals that you could have reached out to the early investors. That is definitely true. In hindsight, I probably could have. And maybe Fernand Jets would have looked very differently than it does now. But I'm 
until this point, I'm very proud and happy that I bootstrapped the company. I think there's a certain amount of honor that comes with that, knowing that I've started it hundred percent by myself and carried it through to this point. So I'm still pleased with my decision. The reason that I'm considering finance now is because I accidentally uncovered another side of the industry where there's a massive opportunity that I think really needs to be taken advantage of at the moment. And if it's not by myself, it will probably be by someone else who's come through across the same pain points. At the moment, I'm still through going through a growth phase of Farron and Jets. I'm very happy to where it's got to at this stage, but I still feel like there's a lot more growth to come from it. Hence why I'm still in that entrepreneurial stage of taking only what's absolutely necessary out and reinvesting everything else, building a stronger team, more offerings, et cetera. So in order not to take away from that, but then also not to miss out on this new opportunity, that's why I'm now seeking outside funding. Well, tell us about this new opportunity. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been a bit cagey about it so far, but the, the new opportunities, I think there's a massive pain point in the market when it comes to connecting specific high-end service providers with high-end services around the world. So there's, whenever you capture a client in, whether it's wealth management, even if you're a real estate agent or in the private charter business, that client is so valuable to you in regards to the fact that they are repeat users of your service. You always have to keep them happy. And sometimes they come to you asking for requests in areas that you may not necessarily cover. So for example, if you are a lifestyle concierge and you're working in, let's say London, for example, and your client usually travels throughout Europe and you help them set up their vacations, the charter sites, the, the car hire, everything that they may need. You may have your network in Europe that you're extremely comfortable with. But then now that client says, hey, I've heard that Ghana is now a very popular destination. Can you please provide me the same service you've provided me for years, but now in Ghana, you're now faced with a dilemma. You could say no, and that client will find another person to be able to assist them. Potentially, you may not just lose that bit of business, but future business as well. When that client continues to travel or expand their travel destinations into jurisdictions that you do not have that experience in or the network in, or you could say yes, and then still try and find the best car hire service, the best accommodation, the best tours, the best private chef. But now it's a very time consuming process trying to find these people that you can trust. You have to do your due diligence because there's a lot of money on the line. And just like before, if you make the wrong recommendation, you could lose a very important client to you overall. So that's, I think there's a big space in the market for having an application similar to Airbnb, where you have the pre-vetted individuals in the high-end luxury market, that there is some sort of protection by this company in the middle. They're also going to help you with the payment overseas, making sure that you are paid your referral commission. So it's a bit of a fintech slash luxury travel B2B application that I think the market really, really needs. This all came from our bespoke experiences that we offer through Founder Jets. We do this in partnership with amazing travel curators around the world. And initially this was only put in place mainly as a marketing technique in order to bring more business to Farrington Jets by giving people an idea of where they could travel, especially at a time when part of the world was closed down and even when it opened up, it was open for a few months and certain activities were still closed. It made people really unsure of 
what experience they'll have when they would travel. So we provided all of this inspiration. So we have, for example, luxury camping on the glacier in the Arctic Circle uh, in these really luxury purpose-built tents. They have doubling king-size beds. They have six-seater dining tables. They have wooden flooring. So they're extremely luxurious tents. Heady golfing experiences to 10 countries and over 25 golf courses, some which are very, very exclusive to get into throughout Latin America and the Caribbean and so on. So experiences like that, that could be on a platform as well, that smaller lifestyle and travel concierge companies, corporate departments of companies can provide to their clients. If there are people listening and thinking, mm, this sounds great, where can they get more information? As it stands, the experiences and our travel curation services are on our website, www.farringdon, with a D, jets, with an S, dot com. Now, people who are not high network individuals might like to experience luxury every now and then. So this spinoff, is it still catering to the very high end users or is it a little bit more, there are more offers on that platform? There are definitely more offers. So some of our experiences, all of our experiences are very bespoke. So there's never a fixed price tag attached. It really depends on what the client is looking for. So we have had inquiries where the clients got a six-figure budget, and then we've had others where clients have had a five-figure budget. It really just depends on exactly what they're looking for. And I say five, but we've actually had four as well, four-figure budgets. So it really depends on what the client is looking for. So for example, we've got an experience which is absolutely unique. It's bespoke snowmobile adventure and these snowmobiles which essentially are the f1 versions of snowmobiles top of the range machines our clients as great for team buildings that could be within a family a group of friends or a group of colleagues these machines are taken to anywhere in the world weather permitting and that the client wants to face this experience and they're really stripped down of their title of their rank who they are in the real world and they're in nature essentially, and they have to navigate from one end of the mountain, the snowy mountain top, to the base amongst themselves. They've got the experts around, but they're only there for emergencies. So that experience is fantastic. Clients that I've spoken to have never heard of this before. I think there's only one provider in the world for this, and that's our partner. And that experience starts at just about three and a half thousand per person, so very affordable. I am speaking with Michael Darko, the founder and CEO of Firington Jets. Michael, it's about three years now. What are some things that you've learned that you didn't think about before getting started? Okay, about three things that I hadn't thought about before entering this market. That's a very good question. She's <laughs> got me thinking. One, building a team, I would say, is the biggest challenge really aligning yourself with people that really share the company's values, see the vision, and are willing to put in the work to make that dream and that vision a reality for every client's experience, because they are all representatives of the company. That's number one. Number two, dealing with the different cultures. So I've of course, had this experience throughout my career, living in different parts of the world, different continents. But this is the first time I've had to work with different cultures, multiple different cultures in a single day. <laughs> so not just one or two, but 
some mornings I'm dealing with people in Western Europe, then the rest of the morning I'm dealing with people on the continent of Africa, then the rest of the morning I'm dealing with people in Asia, and then the afternoon spins round and I'm dealing with people in the Americas all the way from South America, Central America up to North America. And the way that people do business is very different. Their expectations, the way that you like to communicate. So that's always fun having to switch between that and sometimes on a minor level languages as well. Number three is the forever changing landscape when it comes to marketing. I think that's the, the biggest factor for me at the moment. You know, things are changing so quickly and I now know how my mother felt years ago when she would ask me to set up her phone for her. Oh, how do you do this on the phone? And how do you do this on the TV? And can you set up the, the internet? These are things I used to find very simple as a teenager, but now I'm finding myself asking the same questions to contacts about TikTok. How do you do this on TikTok? And how do you find the reach? And how do you add this sound? And how do you make this effect happen? And it's just forever changing the algorithms, not just on TikTok, but on Instagram. And then you have to do this on Facebook and then SEO on Google, of course. And now you've got ChatGTP, which has entered the conversation and it's just a continuous educational experience. <laughs> I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that third one. Even with me having this podcast, I have a lot of those challenges too. And number two, that sounds exhausting. Working across all of those different time zones and cultures, when do you sleep? That's a good question. <laughs> and I can't answer that question on this call right now because people who care about me might be worried that I'm not getting enough sleep. <laughs> but yes, it is a bit of a tricky one, but I think that's a sacrifice we make as entrepreneurs, especially during the growth stages of our companies, because there's a lot that we like to oversee ourselves. And to do that, you also have to be flexible for the schedules of your clients and your partners. It's always, I think, important to remember as an entrepreneur that we have to make sure our health comes first. So do find time to rest, even if you do sacrifice during certain parts of the week, but also being able to have those boundaries in place somehow. Yeah. I like to say that rest is a productivity hack. So yes. find time for it. Michael, is there anything else that you would like to share before we conclude? Yes, I'd love everyone who is interested in the private jet charter business. If they need any charters, if they need any travel concierge services, if you are in a company that's within the industry and you are looking for a partner within the space, please feel free to reach out. You could find us on ferrandandjets.com and for our social media handles, LinkedIn, etc. You could find us at Jets. And if you want to reach out to me personally on most social networks, I am Mike underscore is underscore where on most social media platforms. If you want to reach out to me personally, that came about because a lot of people would ask that question, where is Mike? Because I traveled around so much. So if they're speaking to a friend, if they're speaking to a family member, and then it just funny enough became my Instagram handle and, and grew from there. Uh, for the listeners of this podcast, what I'd love to do is also offer them a value add if they do need our services for free or complimentary ground transportation services if they are traveling to anywhere in the world. Remember, a big factor of what we do is we're a security-focused private jet charter company. So depending on where our clients are traveling to, I know most of your listeners are probably within the USA, our travel security partners within the US are ex 
US Secret Service agents. So it's the top end of the security that you can receive and feel free to, to reach out to us in that regard too. That sounds awesome. Listeners, make sure you check the show notes for any codes or information. Always check the show notes because you never know when there'll be goodies in there. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure being on the show. I was a fan of this show before we ever made contact and I ended up being a guest. So it, it really is an honor to be here. To my listeners, make sure you check the show notes to get a link to Michael's landing page for Farron and Jets so that you can cash in on that discount on your next luxury vacation. If you like this episode, let me know by rating and leaving a review. Also, share this episode link with three friends because sharing is caring. So be generous with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast and it's home on the Alive Podcast Network. And follow the podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more to get notified when new episodes drop. To be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me whereisthefunding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at whereisthefunding underscore podcast. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie, on LinkedIn and follow the show page there as well. Join me next Friday for another episode.